What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Getting the Cash Flow Game with K and K. So today, um, this is a really cool one. Um, we had the Quack Brothers on, but we only had one. We had Daniel. There's Sam and Daniel, but these guys are—they're just really in this space of real estate, YouTube, um, writing books, mentoring, helping people. They're super young. They figured it out. They're blowing up. Their YouTube channel is crazy. You guys should check them out. But these guys basically came from like, they didn't grow up with zero money. You know, it's, 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 I, as many people we interviewed over and over again, it's amazing of how many people that we've interviewed have come from a struggling background or something in their life that triggered them to be successful. And obviously they grew up in a household where there, it wasn't money and they had to figure it out for themselves. So obviously we kind of go through some of those trials and tribulations, but basically they just, you know, figured out the shit young, got their shit together and, um, they've got a lot of great stuff going on. And so not only did we talk, um, on camera about their story and what they got going on, but off camera, um, Daniel was really helpful. Um, just with like our YouTube giving, you know, tips and advice. So, Honestly, whether you guys are looking to hear a great story about somebody getting real estate, hearing a great story about somebody that came from like, you know, nothing, um, got nothing, was given nothing, and then just figured it out at a young age, this is a great episode for you. Or you're looking to maybe start a YouTube channel um, or learn a little bit more marketing and things like that. These guys literally have that covered. So um, we're going to jump into it with Daniel, but like I said, Go check them out. Go follow them. They've got great content. They're helping. It's funny. They're not just helping the young people. They're helping just like everybody. Everybody can learn something from these guys for sure. Check them out. Without further ado, let's jump in with Daniel. Daniel, thanks so much for coming on today. I uh, I checked out your YouTube and I kind of looked around about what you and your brother are doing. You guys are doing a lot of really great stuff. But can you maybe just start off by telling our audience like what it is that you do and how you got to this point today. Yeah, so I made my intro really fast. One of my biggest pet peeves when I listen to content and, you know, they talk about themselves for 15, 20 minutes. And it's like, wow, like, you didn't even hug. I immigrated to the United States when I was five years old. Um, you know, and it was very interesting outlook. So my parents were pastors. They still are. And um, it was interesting to see the way kind of where we grew up so we lived in a studio apartment like 600 square feet my brother and i and our parents i mean most nights we didn't have dinner um, multiple nights we had to sleep in our car because um, the heating bill wasn't paid and we lived next to what's known as a uh, i don't know how what the age range of your listeners are but uh let's just call it a gentleman's entertainment center that's what we live next to and so uh i, I remember like still to this day being like five or six years old, looking out in the window at one or 2 a.m. in the morning and seeing these men in suits. And they're like, you know, Armani custom-made suits, like probably five grand, right? And they're getting into their BMWs and Lexuses and Mercedes-Benz at 2 a.m. in the morning, just hammered. And these guys are driving drunk. Um, and then I would literally turn 90 degrees to my left and I would see my parents who are just the godliest, most humble, most gold-hearted people in the world and they were sharing a twin size bed and um, we didn't have breakfast prepared, right? Like there was no food in the, in the fridge. So I started asking myself, like, man, like what would the world look like if the people who had the fiduciary 
uh, skill sets also had a heart for mission and a heart for passion and a heart for purpose. Like, what would that actually look like? So I had that kind of engraved in the back of my head pretty much as long as I live. Now, here's a really interesting thing. Uh, when you grow up poor, a lot of times you learn poor. And sometimes when you grow up rich, you learn poor. So I learned poor growing up. And that was uh, it resulted in me being 18 years old. Uh, I had negative $187.65 in my bank account. And a couple maxed out credit cards. At one point, found myself eating out of a dumpster. And I decided one day, I was like, you know what? Like, screw this. Like, everybody has one of those moments where, like, I'm done. Like, never again. This sucks. Like, I'm finally going to do something about it. I've had it. You guys had it. Everyone listening to this podcast has had it or will have it one day. Um, and I decided to do something about it. So I, I remember at 17 years old, I had read an article by, <clears throat> by Forbes saying that um, the most amount of self-made millionaires were created by investing in real estate. And I think the number was like 83% of all self-made millionaires made their money investing in real estate. So I got, I go, I got to invest in real estate. So I remember learning about like every single little thing. I, I remember learning about wholesaling and, and lease options. I would wake up at six or seven in the morning, wouldn't go to sleep till one or two at night and just be bombarded and, and, and submerged into the world of real estate. I mean, two, three meetups every week. I mean, it was just boot camp. Um, ultimately, at the end of the day, to answer the question, why did the guy who stumbled out of the gentleman's entertainment center have more money than he knew what to do with? And then yet my parents who are such kind-hearted people did not right so um very quickly i was 22 years old and i became pretty much the smartest guy in every single room when it came to real estate like i knew more than a lot of people according to books right and podcasts i listened to but i wasn't making enough money and when you're asking the question how did i become who i am today well this is the story so i became very frustrated because i wasn't making any money and yet i knew all this about real estate and chances are the people listening to this podcast very much feel the same way where if you're listening to this podcast, you're probably listening to another one and another one. And you're probably watching a YouTube video. You probably watch like, I don't know, Graham Stephan or something like that. And you're seeking something, right? You're, you're seeking the answer to the question. My question was, why did my parents grow up poor when others were rich? I'm sure the question for you guys is different than mine and for people listening is different than yours. And so um, that was the question I wanted to answer. And I was frustrated. And, and I was frustrated because I wasn't producing the results despite having the knowledge. And so whenever I'm frustrated, I go to God uh, and I have a conversation with God and I go, God, like, why am I not making any money? Like, why is this happening? And this is the frustrations of many people that people like me and you come across is they know a lot and they blame it on analysis paralysis. They blame it on this. They blame it on that. But that's actually not true. None of that is true. What is true, however, uh, is one answer. And in that moment, God led me to this passage in a book called the book of John. It's in the Bible. And he leads me to John chapter 13. And in this story, uh, it's a story how Jesus had, and by the way, I hope I'm not getting like too churchy or anything like that, but this is just my genuine experience, right? So uh, there's a moment where Jesus and his disciples are walking into this room and uh, Jesus has this realization that he's the most powerful being in the universe. So imagine like your favorite superheroes. Mine is Iron Man. I love Iron Man. But, you know, Jesus in this moment was like a thousand times more powerful than Iron Man, Thanos, whatever. And so um, the way he reacts to it, right? So the, the Bible says, so, right? Like S-O, the cause and effect, right? After Jesus realized he had all his power. So uh, he began to remove his outer garments, brought out a base in the water and begins to wash the feet of his disciples, which at the time was like the most humble thing you could do as a servant, right? Like that was the, the act 
that was actually reserved for the lowest ranking servant at that time. So in that moment, God spoke to me and says, Daniel, the reason why you know so much and you haven't made any money is because every single room you walk out of, uh, the people's feet are still dirty. You're not washing anybody's feet. And so I go, oh my gosh, like that was the big epiphany that I had. So uh, what I did was very simple. I brought, I took a notepad out, very similar <clears throat> to this one, right? And I got a pen and I asked every single person in my meetups, like my weekly meetups. And by the way, probably talking five to 600 people. Um, and I asked them like, hey, what are some of the biggest challenges you have in your business right now? And that's how it started. Like, that's how I became who I am. And, and starting to do that, I mean, the rest is history, right? Like the year after I found myself having 87 doors of rentals. And then, you know, today I'm 27 years old. So it's five years later. And, you know, I'm currently running a real estate private equity company. Wow. Yeah, I don't, even I don't even think you have to be a good storyteller, you said before, because your story is so good. So, I mean, it's just, you just, yeah. It sounds like um, when I was hearing your story, it sounds like almost you could have wrote the book Rich Dad, Poor Dad, right? Like you said is really you thought, hey, my parents are this, that, and they're rich. But in the, you know, in this world we live in, that doesn't, just because you're nice and humble and great and all this doesn't pay the bills, doesn't make you money, which sucks. So, um, that's pretty crazy of a story and congrats. Like by just, I mean, I don't even know. I don't, I didn't live something like that. So just to find your way out of that is crazy. I love the story too, just because I think a lot of people come from, uh, circumstances where, you know, they don't have parents that taught them these things. Their parents don't have maybe even good financial like habits or they didn't have examples or they lived in poverty, you know, all these things. And I think a lot of us tend to use those as excuses to stay where we're at. And you really dug deep and found a way to kind of use your story to your benefit. Yeah, I, I mean, my parents gave me the gift of poverty, right? Like, the truth of the matter is, like, if I grew up middle class, like, went to went to a university, got a degree, making five thousand or six thousand dollars a month, like, I would have zero reason to question my life or to date. Like, so for example, you know what I, you know what word I absolutely like, not despise, but I'm kind of annoyed by. I'm I'm annoyed by the word. Uh, legacy. I'm annoyed by that word because like, let's think about what legacy really is. Right. Like, uh, and I was, I was just telling you guys about this book, right. hundred million offers. Right. So my friend Alex and I had a conversation and, you know, he kind of just shared this idea. It was just like, you know, like, I just hate that word legacy because like, when you think about legacy, it's like, Oh, I want to leave something behind for my kids and whatever. But the reality of the situation is like, by the time you get to like four or five generations out, like they don't even know your name. Right. Like the reality is like 100 or 200 years later, like they have no idea. So this whole legacy that you wanted is like it's temporary. Um, so if you think about it from that standpoint, like the most successful people I've met in real estate kind of have the same mentality of like who cares, like what I'm trying to create. But like, what is it that I can create value for other individuals? Um, that's something that I genuinely respect. And like, man, like there it is. Like there it is. Um, I mean, even the best negotiators, the best salespeople, the best capital raisers, like they all have that mindset. Yeah. And I, you know, when we interview a lot of people, it's pretty cool, but just people I know here or people I met, it's pretty amazing that a lot of the stories that are success, that somebody moved here from another country, they had no money, they were homeless, they struggled, they couldn't eat, they lived in a car, they lived in a one bedroom. Um, and then they had to figure it out, right? And then they did. And then, uh, you know, there's a lot of people we know that have everything here imaginable, 
but they don't figure it out. So I don't know. I think like I, you look back in your story, I think you probably look back and be like, when you're going through it, you're like, this sucks. But as you look back, you're like, I'm glad I went through that because without that, if you grew up privileged, you might not be sitting here where you might not be having this conversation, right? And having this experience in the story. So, and I think, you know, you said uh, you might not be the best storyteller when we are talking off camera, but just your story is so impactful for people. Because I can see if you're standing on stage or you're talking to somebody or somebody's watching a YouTube channel, like there are people sitting here listening to this that have privilege that are stuck, right? Because they relied on their parents too much. And now they're like, what do I do? I don't know what to do. They're cutting me off. And it's almost the same thing. Like you have that moment. So um, I was going to ask you, so when you are struggling, you're going through this. Um, Cause I think I feel like I'm why I, t- I want to hit on this is because I feel like a lot of people that are young are struggling all the time you know, and they don't know what to do. And they're because of Instagram and YouTube and all this stuff. There's just, they see this world out there and they're like, well, how do I tap into that? Right. There's a lot of shiny objects is the hard part too. Cause really truthfully, there's a lot of opportunities out there. It's just, you got to focus. And that's why I back up to you and say, how does somebody go from where you, you know, just the first step is how do they tap into figuring out what they want to do and what, what is a good first step for somebody like, you know, cause you took it. Yeah. Yeah. I think for me, kind of how I started is, well, first and foremost, like you guys are absolutely right. Like I, I know people who like, you know, one, one time they're doing like, I don't know, some like MLM scheme or whatever. And like the, the six months later, they're doing real estate and six months after that, they're into like crypto. And like six months after that, they're into like Forex trading. All right. And it's like, it's ridiculous. Cause every single time, I mean, I know, cause every single time they send me a DM, like, Hey, are you interested in doing this with me? And I'm like, no, <laughs> I know you're going to leave in six months. Um, but I, I'd say the best thing for me, and I've, I've had the privilege of coaching hundreds and thousands of real estate entrepreneurs. The ones I commonly see continue to make it are the ones who absolutely submerge themselves. Like the person who goes to a meetup once a month and maybe reads a book here and there, like I rarely see that person succeed. But the person who's like actually submerging themselves. And when I say submerge, I mean like they're reading every book, listening to every podcast they could find. They're obsessed. Like they're just, obsessed. They're, yeah. yeah. They're watching every YouTube video. They're buying every course. And yes, like I'm a big advocate of if you're good, if you're good, buy a course, like hire a coach. Uh, I, I'm a big advocate of that. And people are like, well, Daniel, like you're just saying that because you coach people in real estate. Well, guess what? Like one day you're going to have to compete for a deal with a, somebody who has a coach. Like who do you think is going to win? The, the, like you who like try to do everything yourself or the guy who has a coach in his corner, like whispering advice every single time, like helping you construct the offer, helping them raise capital. Like who do you think is going to win? Um, I mean, at the end of the day, like business is a competition as much as it is an infinite game, which by the way is a phenomenal book I recommend by Simon Sinek. But I mean, at the end of the day, like there is competition in the business world. So uh, I'm a, I'm a big, big, big advocate of that. So um, the way I got started was I, and I, please do not do this. This is, this is a disclaimer. Like this is not okay for everyone to do. <laughs> my, brother, my brother and I called our credit card company and we begged them to increase the line so we could pay for a coaching program. That, that's kind of how we got started. Um, and I tell people, you got to have your rabbits and elephants. Like that's one of the best advice I can give you, especially like if people are starting out is like, you got to have your rabbits and elephants. So your rabbits are your things like, what are you doing today to make money, to put food on the table, to make sure that the groceries are being paid for and there's clothes on the kid's back, but you got to have your elephant, right? Like this is the project that you're working on for a year. Like it could be, Hey, like 
I'm starting a campaign for 12 months that we're going to raise $5 million. That's your elephant. But, you know, you could do stuff like here and there, like, hey, I, I'm going to help this person find a deal and I'm going to get paid $10,000 for it uh, or 15000 you know? So I, I, mean, I think people get the idea, but I would say two things. I mean, really submerge yourself in information. And then number two, uh, have, define your rabbits and elephants. And then number three, I'd say if I were to, since we're going with the third one here, um, I would ask myself, uh, who is your ideal client? That's, that'd be number one. And then secondly, like, what is your grand slam offer? Right. So like that, that is something that, and especially with raising capital or finding deals, um, you got to know who your, who your ideal client is. So like, I remember one of the, so one of the things I help my clients do all the time when it comes to raising capital, uh, cause I would say that's probably the primary thing I coach people on is raising capital is I ask them like, well, who's your ideal client? And they're like, well, it's somebody with money. It's like, eh, that's not the answer. Right. Um, who's your ideal client, right? Like, so what are you raising money for? Like, what's your product? Is it a, you know, five to 10 year buy and hold? Is it, are you doing the burst strategy? Are you doing a fix and flip? Cause that's going to tell you everything you need to know about who you need to raise money from. So for example, when I first started, I was always interested in apartment complexes. I was always interested in having somebody be an equity investor. So based on those two things alone, my ideal client is going to be a high earning W2 income earner. So somebody who needs the tax benefits of, you know, somebody who wants that long-term strategy, somebody who wants these things. So, I mean, these are things that are so fundamental, but yet 99% of people that I talk to in real estate, like they can't tell me who their ideal client is. They can't tell me what their, what is their irresistible offer. So my irresistible offer to um, doctors, which by the way, like I used to raise a lot of money from doctors because that was my ideal client. My irresistible offer was that uh, we partner together and I give them a hundred percent of the depreciation. Like people couldn't say no. So I see for wow. people starting out, like you got to answer these, those two questions and then really consider the other two things. Yeah. I think you're, you hit the nail on the head though with that. Cause I feel like, you know, we actually know a lot of people, even in our circle that would say like, I, that's a lot of money. I'm not going to pay a coach for this. And I can just go on and look at a YouTube video. That's going to give me all these instructions. And what I say to them is like, yeah, we can give you the steps, but that's a really great example though, like who's your ideal client? When Kenny and I sat down and tried to figure out who our ideal client was on our own, the answer that we came up on our own was such like a half-hearted, half-effort answer. And then when we hired a company and a coach to guide us and walk us through that, we literally had to sit in a room for two days straight, eight hours a day, just hammering out What's your offer? Who's your ideal client? That's you know what we're talking about. <laughs> yeah. Dig deeper. Yeah. Nope. We need more. Nope. I need something more complicated. Cause you're like, I help people finance properties. No, you don't. You help people do something else. What is it that you help people do? So like just getting into these things is just so critical. We're huge proponents of, of coaches too. And that's the exact kind of stuff that, um, a coach really helps you with. And it's just minor tweaks that can change the entire trajectory of, of your journey. That's really cool. I really like all the, the, the points that you gave. Yeah. It's, it's funny too, because, um, when you start getting around coaching or these masterminds, you start realizing that the Ty Lopez is right. If you listen to him, that guy's spending half a million dollars on coaches and people like he has a coach. You're like, of course he has a coach. These guys all have coaches. That's how they advance, you know? And, um, it's funny cause Crystal mentioned that. Yeah. We sat in a room and for us, for loans, because it's, we're figuring out for the program, all these things, it's our, what we do is what problem do you solve? We're like, Oh, we give loans. No. You're like, like you said, no, we, we solve the problem of insecurity. Can I get one? Can I get pre-qualified? Can I buy the property? How does it work? And that's to realize like 
most of the things we do in real estate, and we talk to people on a daily basis, is we're just providing experience and confidence with an answer. And that's what people need. Like when they go to coach, it's really, am I confident in this offer or going to raise the money? They need that support, right? I mean, I don't know if you agree with that, but that's what we kind of saw and figured out just going through their own, like their own process with ourselves. Yeah. My personal reason for hiring coaches and, and I spend, I'd say probably six figures every year on coaches for myself and my brother and our team. It's because for me, it's like I'm exchanging that money for efficiency and time, right? Like they're helping me work smarter because I already know I work hard and that's everybody. A lot of people listening to this podcast, chances are you work hard because you're intentionally listening to something, right? Like you're actually turning on a podcast instead of listening to music or like CNN. Or I don't know, right? But like um, you, so I, like we already know you work hard, but it's just a matter of you. Like it's neat to have somebody like in your corner to help you work smart because you can work as hard as you want. Like I tell people all the time, it's like the worst thing that could possibly happen is for you not to go 100 miles per hour, it's actually for you to go 100 miles per hour in the wrong direction, because that's more painful actually than learning how to go that fast, right? So yeah, absolutely agree with you guys. Yeah, what, so I was gonna ask you, so how is it, you know, you are you and your brother are very close, how is it like, you know, building a business with your brother and doing this together, because people ask us all the time, like, how the hell do you guys work together and spend so much time and not kill each other, and we have, our method for the madness, but how do you guys do it and how does that work? What's the kind of role of your guys' relationship in business and life and stuff? Yeah, that's great. So for my brother and I, we we were killing each other before. I'd say probably like a <laughs> yeah, three or four years ago. Uh, and the reason being is because you you kind of assume that you know what they want and who they are. Um, you have to kind of allow yourself to be surprised by what the other person can do. You know, because we have so many preconceived notions of who the other person is, because we think we know them, but we actually truly don't in many cases. Um, I mean, I still learn so many things about my wife, like to this day, you know, like I learn something new about her every day. I learned something new about her today, even over lunch. And I was like, wow, like, you know, we've been, we've been married, we've been together for a long time. Like, I did not know that about you. Um, so I'd say be a student of the other person uh, is first and foremost, like such a, such an important thing. To kind of go over. Um, so I'll, I'll share this story. So I uh, have a friend of mine in um, kind of near Silicon Valley in the Bay Area. So his name is Barry, right? So shout out to Barry. And uh, Barry's probably in his mid 50s. And he does executive coaching. And he does not only just executive coaching, but he probably has done executive coaching for probably six out of the top 10 companies in the world, like wow. in the United wow. States. Wow. So we're talking like the Amazons, the Apples, the Googles, the Microsofts, right? And at the same time, he works with probably like the most brightest entrepreneur that the world has to offer because um, he does a lot of you know executive coaching for VC firms and whatnot. And it was interesting. He goes like, and I asked him the question, we were sitting down one time. This is about, a, like I'd say two years ago, like right before COVID hit. And I asked him like, hey, like what, like what makes a business succeed? Like in your opinion, like what is the common denominator on the success of a business? Like when you see a company, you know whether it's going to succeed or not based on this metric. And he goes, well, Daniel, like I've met people who can probably solve the world's biggest problems. Like, doesn't matter what you're talking about. It could be climate change. It could be abortion. It could be, you know, um, the lack of resources and, and on planet Earth. Like, I've met people who have enough brain power ten times over to solve these problems. But time and time again, these companies and these ideas don't come to fruition because they simply just don't know how to work with each other. So uh, I would say taking assessments. Like, so if you guys know the, uh, I don't know if you guys know the cultural index. But um, that was probably one of the most valuable assessments I've ever taken for my brother and I and actually our entire team, um, because it's, it's not like the, you know, 
Myers Briggs or like the disc, right? Like those are all great for like parties and social gatherings. That's fantastic. Like if you're talking an actual business and an actual organization, like this is what you hire and fire based on. This is how you relocate, promote, not promote. Um, the cultural index is probably the best thing I've ever seen. And I'm, I don't even know who created it. Uh, I don't, there's no monetary gain for me mentioning it, but I'd say that along with just having the mentality of learning more about who your business partner is every single day, it's just so valuable. It's so valuable. So what are your guys, um, you know, now you look back from, you know, living, you're 18, now you're here. When you look back, what do you, what are your both strengths? Like, what are you guys really great at? And then the stuff that you're not great at, how are you handling that? Because you're doing multiple things, right? You're raising money, you have a program, you got the YouTube stuff and it pulls you in many different ways. So I always ask people, they're doing a lot of things like, how do you deal with this on a daily basis and how does that work for both you and your brother running the businesses? Yeah. Uh, I'll keep this answer short just because I know our stories are very different. And, um, I, I think very few people would find this one valuable, but I think most people would probably were looking for like the, well, give me the technical real estate question. Right. Um, so for my brother and I, I, I would say he probably, uh, handles a lot of the framework of our business. So like the tech and operations, and I tend to kind of lead more of the people aspect. So enforcing the vision, like, hey, this is the direction of our organization. This is our just cause. Here's what we need to do. Um, so, yeah, I'd say that's between Sam and I, that's probably what we do. Nice. So you're, so you're more out there, the face of it? Uh, I wouldn't say so. I say we're both the face, but I, I say I lead more so of the people and he kind of handles more of like the operations and framework. Okay, cool. So let's talk about, let's, let's, let's jump into real estate. That's right, baby. This is what I've been waiting for. Okay, cool. As you know, I got my real estate hustle shirt. Um, so Crystal and I, we are, um, we've been lucky enough and fortunate enough to just, because of probably the financing she does, but we are around a lot of people, especially Crystal for the last 18 years of her life since she's 19, she started a commercial and she's just been around people that own property. And when you look at tax returns and you look at their lifestyle and you, they don't work hard, you're like, this is crazy. They don't pay taxes. They make money. They pull it. You know, they see, she's seen this over and over. And so we sat back and you're kind of like, why the hell aren't we doing this? You know, just, that was our moment. Like, why aren't we doing this? Um, and that was it for us. But how did you ultimately decide? I know you jumped in in real estate, but how did you ultimately go from meetups to reading books and podcasts and just getting submerged in it to saying, okay, I'm going to buy my first deal, raise money. Like take us through that process. Yep. So, um, it was kind of just understanding what my weaknesses were. So my weaknesses were like, I didn't have experience. I didn't, I hated managing properties. Yeah. So I actually partnered with the property manager, um, for my first couple of deals until I kind of got the hang of it. So, um, yeah, I partnered, I partnered with the property manager. I reverse engineered my end goal. So um, here's what I'd recommend. So I remember January 1st of 2017, I decided I was going to have 20 rental doors. Like that was my goal, right? I was like, hey, by the end of this year, I want to I have 20 rental units. Um, by the end of the year, I had 87. And here's how I did it. So the way I did it is I told my mentor that goal. And my mentor told me, Daniel, don't set goals, set standards and expectations. So what he, what he helped me do is, and this is kind of like my one-on-one -on -one coach, he helped me reverse engineer from my goal, what are the highest, most efficient, high productivity action steps that I need to be doing every single day, every single week, and every single month. 
So I had a total of eight action steps. I had five I needed to do every single day. I had three I needed to do every single month. And I had one I needed to do every single month. So I, I had three every week, one every month, five every day. And again, these were created just by simply reverse engineering what I wanted, right? So for me, it's like, well, I want 20 rental doors. Let's change the equation so I can get a higher result. So what I learned is like, well, I got to do seller financing because I have no other option for me to, yeah, I was literally 20 at the time. My DTI was God awful. I had horrible credit. So I was no way getting a loan whatsoever. Um, maybe I should have known you guys at the time. You guys would have helped me. But, um, so I had to do seller financing. So I simply just did a reverse engineering process. And for me, I've always been really good at um, not only just solving problems, but figuring out like who I needed to have in certain areas to solve that problem the best way. Most people who are in entrepreneurship, especially in real estate, love getting things done just to get things done. You can't do that in real estate. You have to, you have to ask yourself, not only can I get it done, but I have to get it done to the highest quality and to the best way, most efficient way possible. Um, I think if you focus on that, you will really separate yourself from 99% from of other individuals. So here's what I did. I told myself I needed to buy things via seller financing. What I did is I took a week to write down what are the best uh, wins for sellers and seller financing. Like, how can I create a win-win scenario? How can I turn a weakness into a strength? So I spent an entire week writing down like every single benefit that the seller has for doing seller financing on his end. And so I wrote down stuff like, well, you make money as the bank, you, you know, save a lot of money with taxes, right? Like potential tax deferments. Um, you do this, you do that. And after a week of creating this list, and I asked other individuals to kind of give their input as well, I asked myself, okay, like who is the person that's going to most jive with this list? Uh, like who benefits the most from these benefits? So I decided that it was uh, older landlords. So landlords who are like 65 and above, because these guys, these guys were the ones who owned their property for more than 27 and a half years. So therefore they have a really big depreciation recapture event when they sell. And not only that, but you know, and which by the way, the whole depreciation, that you're, you're, you're treated on ordinary income tax. Like that's not pretty. Like that's a, I think 37.3% now, right? Like I'm not an accountant, but yeah. Uh, yeah. not only that, but if they owned it for a long time, right? Like the property increases, meaning that when you sell, what do you pay? Crazy. Yeah. It's you pay capital gains tax. Yeah. Oh, right? yeah. yeah. It's, pay, it's California pays state tax. So it's like 50%. Yeah. It's crazy. Well, you not only pay state tax, but for, for the like for everybody in the country, you pay capital gains. Yeah. And that capital gains, you're upwards to 25%. So you're talking about 37.3% on the basis that you collected over the course of the years you owned it. You're talking about 25% on the increase. And then you're talking about state taxes. So, like in most case scenario, these guys, like they end up with 50% of what, what, like, what they actually sell it for. And so, but at the same, like they're stuck between a rock and a hard place. So if they sell it, they pay all those taxes, but if they keep it, they still have to deal with all the tenants. So for me, I was like, okay, like these are the people I got to target. And then I asked myself, how do I target older landlords? Well, for, for me, I started calling newspaper ads. I started calling like for rent signs. I started building relationships with, you know, older property managers and older brokers. And sure enough, they led me to all their friends and their buddies who are around the same age. So because of it, I, I had so much of a high completion rate, like such a high conversion rate of my negotiations to where like for an average investor, they could have been negotiating with a hundred people and gotten like two deals, right? Whereas for me, I was getting the same result by negotiating with only five to 10 people Wow. because wow. I had already known what they've wanted before I walked in because I already did all the work before walking into the door. So 
like that's probably what I would recommend for a lot of people to get started is like, you know, in answering those questions, like reverse engineer what you want your goal to be and then figure out what are your highest and most efficient action steps and do them every single day, every week and every month. Um, if you do that, like you'll, I mean, people ask me like, how'd you get 87 doors by the time you were 23? Well, it's because I did that, right? Like I, I did a year's worth of work that most people take them 30 years to do. Um, and when you think of it from that landscape and you, you focus on efficiency and you do those things, then that's what you get, right? Like, and I'll, I'll kind of end with this because I know I'm rambling a little bit, but like there are people who in the real estate world are like, oh, I've been doing this for 30, 40 years. And in many cases, I'm like, actually, no, like you have one year's worth of experience 30, 40 times over. So I, I, I would say be careful, like when people like tell people or like they tell me their stories in real estate, like I tell them, like, really be careful that you're having a different year's worth of experience every single time. Otherwise, you kind of fall into that trap. Yeah, I like that. I think that is true. That's uh, about people. Oh, I've been doing this 30, 40 years. It's true. I think you see that. We see that a lot. Yeah. Um. So I was going to ask you, are you with your guys, YouTube and coaching, are you guys attracting a lot of like younger people then that are interested in real estate? What's the, what's the avatar, the age kind of, I'd be curious about number. Uh, actually, no, a lot of, a lot of our people are kind of more so in their thirties, forties and fifties. Nice. Um, yeah. Which I actually kind of prefer. Yeah, not only that, but I'm like more so their age mentally. Yeah, um, I yeah, agree. yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, sure. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, and plus a lot of them are accredited investors and they, they put money into my fund. So like a lot of those individuals, they come to me because they're like, well, Daniel, I want passive income. Like I want tax benefits. Like I want to own real estate. And I kind of go, well, do you want to raise money? And do you want to do all these things and manage it yourself? And they're like, no, like I have a pile of money. Like I just want to get into real estate. And a lot of times, like I'd probably say, maybe less than half the time, like I kind of go, well, it just sounds like it makes more sense for you to put your money in my fund and just kind of sit back, relax, like, let me do all the work and just collect a check every single quarter. Like that sounds like more along the lines of what you want to do. Um, which I mean, our company, we offer hundred percent ownership to all our limited partners, right. To all our investors. So for them, it's like, that's my, that's my irresistible offer, by the way. Right. Like I give them hundred percent of all the tax benefits, growth, ownership, like you name it. Um, so, I mean, I'd say I more so, more so prefer those individuals, like the, in terms of avatar, um, those are the ones that we probably get most of. I just signed up a client this morning who's like 57, I think. Wow. Wow. That's actually a very interesting way to look at it because I don't know any other person who's raising money, who's giving 100% of all the tax benefits to their investor. So that is uh, quite an irresistible offer. Um, in terms of like the actual real estate that you're looking at, are you investing primarily in your market or close to where you live? Or are you looking in other states? What What is kind of your kind of style of investing? Crystal, you just asked me my favorite question. I love answering. <laughs> so, um, so, so I don't invest. So I live in Chicago. And as much as, as great as the state of Illinois is with all our taxes and interesting policies, uh, I actually do all my investing in Florida. So wow. there's, a wow. county, there's a county in Florida that is currently the second fastest economic growing county in the United States, and no one knows about it. And so uh, that's, where we're, that's where we're investing. So I won't disclose it for the safety of our investors. But I'd say that's kind of where we're investing right now. Uh, did you guys you want to advertise it to everybody on the podcast? <laughs> no, I mean, if they want more information, they got to reach out to me, baby. I'm just saying, you know, <laughs> but, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, but yeah, so um, 
I love talking about this stuff. Can we talk about what's happening right now in the market? Is that, is that cool with you guys? No. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's what I was going to get to next is, uh, what, what's your, yeah, let's just jump into it. Perfect. Okay. So, um, where do I begin? Okay. So, uh, there's a lot of people right now who are advocating like large multifamily large, and, and I absolutely agree with it. I think it's fantastic. Right. So for me, I'm actually a much more bigger believer in land. Um, wow. So I don't know if you guys know this guy. He's uh, kind of an amateur investor. He's been around for a little bit. It's a guy named Warren Buffett. Uh, <laughs> no, so, never heard of him. Yeah, I never heard of him, right? So, yeah, uh, I'm enamored by him, right? Because he he just recently put out in his recent quarterly report for Berkshire Hathaway that he actually believes the number one thing people should be buying is land. Considering that number one, uh, typically land is one of the best inflation hedges, but number two, if you think about a $1 trillion infrastructure bill that's going to the president of, you know, that's going to the desk of the president, and this guy is most likely going to sign it. Well, if you're talking about anything infrastructure, which by the way, that hasn't happened since the early 80s. We haven't had a massive no. infrastructure uh, plan yep, since yep. the early 80s. Yep, yep. Um, and, and if you look at the price of, of hard assets, such as real estate and, and land, um, those things tend to soar, uh, usually when infrastructure is passed. So if you're talking about a nationwide infrastructure bill, well, land actually historically is the main benefactory of that aspect. I think another thing that, so for a lot of individuals who are listening to this podcast, who are looking to invest themselves, uh, not, not passively, but more so actively, like they're the ones who want to get the deal. My recommendation is get anything, like get, pick up all the four to 12 unit buildings. Um, that's what I would be targeting right now if I were them, uh, specifically owned by like mom and pop landlords. The reason being is because we had a significant rent increase in the last 12 months. Like I think the year over year number is 15.3%. Uh, and yet for a lot of these mom and pop landlords, they haven't caught up to the rental trends. If you're talking about the landlord or if you're talking about the, the institutionalized real estate investor who, you know, they own 300 unit class A apartment complexes, which by the way, that's going up everywhere in the country right now. So even where I live in Naperville, Illinois, uh, we're a state that's losing people. We are, right? They're all moving to states like Tennessee, Florida, Arizona, and Texas. Um, but yet, you know, in my, where I live, within a five to 10 minute drive radius, they're building 3,400 3, units of class A apartment buildings, right? Like eight different, like, you know what I mean? Like areas where they're building large class A apartments. Well, why are they doing that? Well, to be honest, they look at the rental trends, they look at their feasibility studies, and they see that the rents have gone up. And so they're going to be the first ones in line to increase that rent. And they have the last like six to eight months. And your mom and pop landlords are not going to keep up with those rental trends. And I bring that up is because when you look at those numbers, when you look at those aspects, the net operating income stays the same for your mom and pop landlords. But yet for your institutional investors that have two, 300 units, it's going up drastically, which you know, many will tell you based on your fixed and variable income and expenses, well, that's going to increase the price drastically like very very well whereas for your mom and pop landlords not necessarily so if you're talking about most bang for your buck um my not advice right because i have to put the sec disclaimer here right like uh what i'm doing right now with my fund <laughs> is, um we're buying up land uh but we're also developing something that is very unique to this particular market and we're gonna make it i mean we're gonna do really really well i'm not gonna say we're gonna make a killing but Based on our projections, we're going to do really, really well. So uh, we're we're practicing what we see based on what's happening in the market, and 
and thankfully we're doing it again, the second fastest economic growing county in the United States. Yeah. Um, Crystal and I actually, I'm from Miami originally. So we actually spent a month in living in Miami and we drove a bunch of properties around Florida. So we probably have an idea where you're talking about, but the one thing I like about Florida too is a lot of people, it's funny, they don't talk about, um, when I was there, every city I go to, I just whip open Google and I go, what's the minimum wage here? And I go, it's this. And I go, where is it going? And it's going this way. So Florida, when we were there, was 865. And in September, it was going to 10. And then by the next five years, it's going up a dollar. So not only is rents going up just naturally, but also that minimum wage in like Florida is going up, you know, that whatever, like, I mean, $5 dollar over the next five years, which is good for somebody like you. Because we were driving around going, okay, well, if these people are making 12 bucks an hour, they got to be le- minimum in years, they're going to make 15 or 20. So I think um, that's also cool about Florida. I was just like, we we're looking at that going. Yeah, yeah. Upside. Even, even in like when you're investing in real estate and you're thinking about your strategies in terms of like buy and hold versus fix and flip, you got to answer the same questions in terms of like who's your ideal client and what's your irresistible offer. So even for stuff that we're developing, we have an ideal client and we also have an irresistible offer. Um, so that's something that you got to think about as well, which by the way, the, the area that I'm talking about, unfortunately is, is actually not near Miami. No, no, I don't think that's what it was. Yeah. We actually drove every single listing. Like we drove from like Miami up uh, to like Palm beach. And then we cut across to and drew ever drove everything from like Naples to Tampa Bay. So we didn't get up far, far North, like Sarasota, Sarasota and all, or, uh, Gainesville, and all yeah, that all stuff. That Tallahassee. Stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We didn't do any of that, but. But yeah, but yeah, there's a lot, there's, there's a lot going on in that state, you know? So, so what's your, um, so if we're talking about the market, obviously we know price are going up, rents are going up. Um, what do you, in your, with all the stuff you read, I'm sure you read, you guys study a lot. What is going to stop a market like this? Um, so here's what I think is probably going to happen and and i'm not saying i'm right but just based on the information done this is my opinion right thank you um (laughs) let's let's think about what's happening right now right so inflation is definitely not transitionary it was 5.4 percent for two months in quarter two of this year and then we're talking about quarter three and quarter four we're now well above six percent inflation and at the same time we're talking about our federal reserve starting to taper off uh them buying bonds every single month which will, you know, they're, they're buying $40 billion worth of mortgage-backed securities every month starting December of last year. And then they're buying $80 billion worth of U.S. Treasuries. So what's that going to do is it's, it's going to increase the mortgage interest rate. And uh, unfortunately, it's going to cool off. The, well, fortunately, it's going to cool off the housing market, right, is what's going to happen within the next 12 to 18 months. I don't think it's going to crash necessarily, but I think the amount of demand that a lot of the class A apartment complex builders thought they were going to have, I, I think that's going to kind of dissipate. I think uh, as housing cools down and things become a little bit more affordable and things catch up with supply, which, you know, starting 2009 to 2012, 13, they stopped offering, you know, 203K loans, right? They stopped offering construction loans. So we're now facing what our uh, predecessors 10 years ago failed to do, right? Which is keep up with the minimum supply that we have to have every single you know year. So what I think is going to happen is I think as, you know, Federal Reserve increases rates and, you know, things get, money gets a little bit more expensive. I don't know if there's going to be like Armageddon crash, maybe more so in like crypto and stocks, but 
Um, I think what I, again, my opinion is I think the housing market's going to cool off. I think a lot of people are going to see that as an opportunity to jump in the housing market. And I think you're going to lose a lot of people in your class A apartment complex space. And I think that's going to allow rents to stabilize, potentially even drop just a little bit. Uh, and I think that's going to stammer down and trickle down all the way to like your class C apartment complexes. So ultimately, I see rents kind of stabilizing. And I mean, it'll go up for a little while, right? Like, I mean, usually the rule of thumb is like, once something happens in the macroeconomic space, it usually takes six months for real estate market to catch up. So I think maybe even potentially like fourth, third, third or fourth quarter of next year, we're going to stop seeing rent increases. It's going to stabilize. It's going to cool off after that in 2023, um, which having said that, it makes it a horrible time to buy right now, right? Which is kind of, again, the reason why we're doing what we're doing in our fund, uh, which we're playing a little bit of offense and defense at the same time. So. Um, but yeah, I think that's probably what's going to happen based on my opinion. Um, yeah. I don't know if that answers your questions. No, that's good. What do you, do you know, um, you ever watch Lacey Hunt? Mm -mm. Danielle DeMartino Booth. Who are these people? I'm going to write their names down. You're going to want to watch them. So Lacey Hunt's a famous, very, very famous, uh, He's been in the bond world and the, the, and then Danielle DiMartina Booth, um, used to work for the fed. She wrote a book called fed up, but I followed them, but, um, they just did a little, um, I sent it to you last night. There's a pretty good, if you look them up, there's a pretty good little hour long. So Lacey hunt is thinks we're in very smart man, 50 years doing this. We're possibly going to maybe going to be in a deflationary soon. So you have to listen why, but he thinks as prices go up so much, consumers say, well, I'm just not going to pay that anymore. And they've got to come down. Then he also thinks that you're, we're getting a lot of supply back up. So when you get a lot more international product come in and domestic, they start having pricing wars. So it brings things down. So we'll see what happens, It'll, but you should check them out because I know you'd appreciate it. I thought about that, but it's, it's, yeah, well, he's not he's not the only person saying that it's going to be deflationary. No, right? no. Even like Cassie Wood came out and said we're going to have a deflationary time, but she's saying it more so because of technology and innovation. Um, but yeah, I can see. I'll, yeah, I'll definitely check it out, man. Thank you. Yeah, because um, when you listen to these guys, it's interesting because when they look at the uh, they talk about the repo market and all that stuff, you know, going on. Um, you know George Gammon. You've heard of him. Yeah. So George is uh, we have we've had him on our channel. He's a He's a good guy. Interesting guy. Yeah. Um, so they look at the last crash, Lacey Hunt, and he says from him, they just watched the bond market and that's what they're getting into. And he says, we can just look last event. It was more of the repo market or all that. Like that's really what caused, you know, the crash. We look at like, oh, real estate crash because this, they look at it a completely different way. So it's pretty cool to see like somebody that's behind the scenes of like the curtain, right? where the money's flowing and all this, how they look at it. And we're more like on the street, buying real estate, you know, rehabbing, renting it and all that. And we look at it completely different, you know? And so it's pretty fascinating. I think you'll find it fascinating, but there's just, you know, so many different views of things. But I agree with you. I think tapering is going to go down just like it did last time and rates will go up. And then the feds, you know, are they going to raise, you know, additionally raise the prime rate and stuff? I'll check it out. Um, Cause I don't know if I agree with that assessment. Because, I mean, even looking at the bond market 
as a standpoint, like you can't really do that because when's the last time in history where we, you know, the Fed balance sheet was over $8 trillion. It's yeah. never happened. Yeah. Uh, we've never had $6 trillion in the span of 12 to 18 months be added onto the Fed balance sheet while all this stuff is happening, right? And I mean, for crying out loud, when's the next, when's the last time we had a pandemic like this hit the economy and everything got shut down? I mean, there's so many unique things that's happening. Um, but yeah, it'd be interesting. I'll check it out. Yeah, I like to listen to all points of views and just absorb them. And you still have your own opinion, but it's, that's why I love YouTube. That's why I love that we can, it's right there. We can watch anybody, right? And you can, you can get educated. Um, so if you're a first-time real estate investor right now, um, and they're sitting down, they're your friend, they're having, you know, dinner, lunch with you, whatever, hanging out. What, what does that conversation look like right now today? They want to go buy something. They want to get in the game. Yeah. I'd probably ask them about what their goals are, what they want to do, what they want to accomplish. And then we'll probably talk about best strategies and assets to buy, uh, based on what they want to do. Right. Like, so I'll, I'll be very flat out and honest, like buying multifamily isn't sometimes the best strategy for passive income. Right. So for individuals that want passive income and they want more of like, so let's say we have an individual, they have half a million dollars. They uh, want passive income in real estate. They want less, they want no risk and all this stuff. Like nine times out of 10 people who know real estate are going to say, oh, you should buy multifamily. I kind of disagree. Um, I think that person should actually get more so into notes and then like note buying and lease options um, if based on what they really want. But yeah, I probably, if somebody were like a friend and sat, sat down with me and says, hey, like I'm, I'm thinking about getting into real estate, like what should I do? I probably ask them like, hey, write down on a piece of paper, like what you want your ideal life to look like, what you, like, how do you want your money to do? What are some things on your wish list? Um, what's your capacity for risk, right? And all these things. And then like him or her and I can have a, or I'm sorry, him or her, they, it, they, um, <laughs> am I forgetting anything guys? Right. Uh, I don't know. Gotta include everybody. Right. We yeah. all the world. Yeah. Yeah. So uh so we'll probably have a conversation between myself and, and whoever that person is um on what's the best strategy moving forward, like what assets would, would I buy, help them strategize based on what's happening to the market. Like the amount of people that have asked me questions like, hey, should I buy a house now or should I wait, you know, a year from now? Right. Um, I think there's good deals, to be honest, anywhere to be found. Right. Yeah. Like real estate, I tell people all the time, like real estate market is like a seesaw. When there's one aspect that go up, there's another, per there's another aspect that's down. Yeah, no, I agree. What would you say? Um, because I think you would be hurt, very helpful. What would you say to somebody that's 18, 20, 22 watching this? That's doesn't matter where they're from, who they are. They're just struggling to figure out. They're like, Maybe they don't want to go to school. They don't want to get a W-2 job, but they're like, I want to do something. I don't know what it is. I don't know how to find my pap my passion, my purpose, or what I'm supposed to do. What would you recommend to like that person? Yeah, that's a good question. So um, just the background, I'm a college dropout. So I dropped out my senior year, I think, of college. Nice. And so uh, I remember asking that question to my professor, like just trying to decide whether or not I should drop out and, and shout out to Professor Robert Nisley. I'm going to say his name because he actually, the conversation I had with him changed my life. And he, he was like, well, you're a big basketball fan, right? I'm like, yeah, totally. And he goes, well, like when a, when a, a very high school, like a very talented high school pros prospect enters college, like do they stay there all four years? I'm like, well, no, right? Like sometimes you have players like, you know, like Zion Williamson, who's like a one and done, right? Like they go to Duke for one year and they go to the NBA and he goes, well, like you've been here three years. Like, do you feel like you're ready for your NBA? Like, do you feel like you're ready for your professional career? And I said, totally. 
And so he goes like, what are you still doing here? Right. So, I mean, to that 18, 19 year old kid, that's like maybe in college, maybe not, maybe just graduated in high school. I would say like, do what you need to do to be ready for your NBA. Right. Um, I think it's so underestimated when kids spend six to nine months just figuring out what they want to do. Um, I actually have a lot of respect for that because they're just trying to figure out what direction they want to run before they run hundred miles per hour. And yet on the sidelines, you have these parents and you have other people who are like, oh, you're, to you're a total loser because you're not doing anything with your life. You're just driving Uber, you're driving Lyft, and then you're, you're reading a bunch of books on investing or whatever, like, oh man, like you're total, like get off your couch or like, oh, the typical, you know, lazy millennial, right? Well, like I actually have more respect for that kid because um, like he's, again, just trying to figure out what direction he wants to run in before he goes full force. Like our society is super weird. Like we reward people for going hundred miles per hour. We don't care what direction they're going in, but we reward them for the speed that they have. And I think that's just totally backwards. Um, so for that 18 or 19 year old kid or, you know, close enough, um, listening to this and you're just trying to figure it out, like, like keep trying to figure it out, talk to a bunch of people, talk to people like myself or you guys, or, or people who run local meetups and, and, and get the real answer. Uh, one of the things that really annoy me is when uh, real estate coaches and gurus try to glamorize the real estate life. Like, oh, like I'm driving around in a Ferrari. Like anybody who's managed properties before will tell you, like that stuff's not easy. <laughs> it sucks. Yeah. Not glamorous at all, right? Like sometimes like you have something that happens that wipes away your entire year's worth of cash flow. Like, like two, two winters ago, right? And by the way, in Chicago, it gets cold. Like I'm talking like minus 30, right? Uh, um, like we had one winter where I had to write a check for $7,500 on my eight unit building because the water pipes burst. Because what happens here in Chicago is there's a thing, guys, what that water does. It's called freeze uh, <laughs> when it gets cold enough. Uh, where So, so what, what happened in my water pipes is the, water's, the water froze. And then when it, when it melted, it, so when it froze, it expanded the pipe, right? And then when it froze, it, it caused major leakage. So I had to write a $7,500 check, which like wiped out three months worth of cash flow for me. So, I mean, it's, it's not as glamorous as people think it is. Right. And most of the time people don't want to be entrepreneurs. They just want like freedom, right? Like that's a lot of times that's what they want. Um, and they think starting a business is a way to get there, but sometimes that's not the answer. So I'd say to that, again, to that 18 year old kid, just read as much as you can go to all the events you possibly can talk to as many people as you can. And then, you know, eventually you'll figure out what you want to do. And, truly, and then and once truly, you figure it out, run, sprint. And any business that you decide to go in or whatever direction, there's always going to be stuff that you don't enjoy doing. Like there's the, this idea of like, do what you love. It's like, okay, yeah, but know that when you're going into it, you're not going to love every aspect of it. None of us love every aspect of anything in life. Like why would it be any different in your business? Yeah, I mean, that's very true. Um, I, I, everyone says like, uh, so I wrote a book. It's, it's for free. Like if people want it, they can get it. You can just go to zero to 75 minutescom and grab a free copy. Um, but I wrote it in the book that I, I find it so annoying when people say like, oh, follow your passions. Um, and I just, I don't, for me personally, I don't believe in that because like passion isn't what gets me to stay up till two or 3 a.m. in the morning, right? Like it's curiosity. Curiosity is what gets me to stay up till two or 3 a.m. in the morning and learn about some stuff. Um, and our passions change like every time. Like my passion of who I like, my passion five years ago is nowhere near what my passion is today, you know? Uh, but the idea is you want to create an engine that whatever your passion is at the time, it, you're able to make it happen. So I agree with you, Crystal. You're, you're, you're on point with that one. 
So kind of wrapping up here. Um, somebody wants to start a YouTube channel, right? They want to start doing content. Um, you're doing it. You guys are kicking ass. You're obviously learning from people like, you know, you have coaches, you have people that are, you're striving for, um, what are some of the quick tips that you can give tricks, hacks, whatever to, you know, somebody's going to listen to this, maybe a couple things. Yeah, I said it and I said it before I'll say it again. I'm going to sound like a broken record, but know your ideal client, like figure out who you're making videos for. Like there's so many YouTube and content creators who like, um, they, they make videos based on what sounds good to them. And the reality is, is like nine times out of 10, that's just not the case, right? Like people watch you for a very specific reason. And so uh, figure out like who your avatar is, like who are you exactly are you making videos for and why do they even watch? Um, I think if you start that niche, right? Like the formula to go from zero to 10,000 subscribers and then from 10 to hundred, then from hundred to a million, I've personally learned is completely different, right? So my channel, we have a little over 200,000 subscribers. What I had to do to go from zero to 10 and then from 10 to 100 and 100 to where we are today is actually really, really different. So I say for, you know, if you want to start like zero to 10, I would say figure out what exactly what specific niche you want to make videos on um, and then pre-record like four or five and then put it out and see what sticks and kind of figure out what people are interested in, what people are commenting, get feedback. One of the best things that I did was um, like when I would go to different meetups, I would ask them like, hey, like, what are some things you would love to see like creators create videos about? And a lot of them, like seven times out of 10, they were like, well, I love to like hear somebody do videos on creative financing. And like, that's kind of the videos I did very early on in my real estate career. And then I would have people like send me articles like, dude, you should totally talk about this in your YouTube channel. And most people would kind of just dismiss it, right? And for, for me, I, I actually like, well, listen, I was like, well, why? Like, why should I talk about it? Do you, do you are, like, are you and your friends talking about it? Is this something that like makes you go like, bro, you gotta, you gotta see this. You gotta, you know, because um, one of the things that I already know YouTube's gonna want is like, they want people who align with YouTube's mission. And, you know, at the end of the day, like I, I again, I just think very simply, I think at the end of the day, like YouTube just wants people to enjoy content and be on their platform, you know? So for, for me, it's like, well, how can I create content that aligns with YouTube's values and what they want to do? And so if I'm thinking from that standpoint, well, I know that YouTube is going to reward creators who bring external traffic into their platform. So like they want people to post videos that make people go like, bro, you got to watch this. Or like, hey, like I'm going to send this over Facebook or I'm going to send this over text. That Like everybody needs to watch this video. It's crazy. Um, so to those people, I would say like, um, don't, don't make videos that like are interesting to you necessarily but make videos that get people talking about it right like make videos that get people talking about your content and you know um you want your videos to be brought up in like social gatherings and because like how awesome it is how great it is for, for whatever reason right so i post i posted a video two months ago that has over a mil almost a million views now nice and nice. uh we looked at the uh, analytics and the reason why it was getting recommended so much right so it had like 16 million impressions meaning that it got to 16 million people in terms of people that were able to click on it and watch it. And the reason why YouTube recommended it so much was because the number one traffic source was external traffic sources, meaning that people were sharing the video to people on WhatsApp, on Facebook Messenger. And because um, it was bringing so many traffic from other platforms into YouTube, well, of course, YouTube is going to reward that because they want people coming on their platform. And the more people come on their platform, the more ads they watch. And the more ads they watch, the more money they make. So, um, so that's 
I mean, honestly, why it blew up, right? So is every video going to be like that? No, like we released a video like last week, it only got 3000 views. So not, not every video is going to be like that, but to the person starting their channel, I'd say number one, understand what niche you're covering, understand who you're making videos for, and then right out of the get-go, find ways to align with what YouTube wants to do. I think if you did that, you could probably hit 10,000. Like I've seen channels go from zero to a hundred thousand subscribers in literally like 60 days just by doing something that like, because it was so clear. So I wish I knew that when I first started our channel, like that was 2015 when my brother and I first started, like, I wish we knew that. I think if we knew that back then, we'd probably have like a million subs by now. Nice. Awesome. What's, um, two more questions. Um, what's some favorite books that you'd recommend? Yeah, I'd recommend this one. It's called The Infinite Game by Simon Sinek. Um, that's a really, really good one. Another one, I actually have them here. I, I, we have a library in our office. I love to read. Nice. Um, nice. But there's like some of my personal favorites are in here. So let me see. I'll, I'll pick three. So aside from um, The Infinite Game, I, I would probably also recommend this one. It's called Tribal Leadership. Uh, it's by Dave Logan, John King, and Haley Fisher, right? Uh, that's a really good one. I recommend Delivering Happiness by Tony Shea. Oh, uh, unfortunately, passed away recently, but um, phenomenal book. Like, that's definitely in my top 10. And last but not least, Originals by Adam Grant. I think that was really, really good as well. And then obviously, you have like your, your go tos, right? Like your Rich Dad, Poor Dads, your, you know, how, you know, Think and Grow Rich. I probably read Think and Grow Rich like eight or nine times over. Uh, let me see if there's other ones. Yeah, I think that's it. Obviously, my book too. Just gonna yeah, make yeah, that stuff there, right? So zero to seventy-five units. You can just get a free copy. I don't, I don't charge for my books. Um, but yeah, I'd say those are probably like my top five. Sounds so tactical too for somebody trying to grow a real estate portfolio. Because I think most of us, we start our goal saying that, like, I want fifty units in one year, but in two years, I want to be at a hundred. So it seems very. Like it's got some tactical information on how to get from zero to 75 or whatever it is, their personal goal. Yeah, I put a lot of content in there and it's very like, so this is what I'm hearing from other people. This is not my own assessment, but a lot of people have been telling me that it's very like readable. Like it's very easy to read, which is fantastic. That's, That's awesome. like that, that was kind of what I was going for. And then where is the best place people can learn more about you, find you, you know, invest with you, invest with you all that stuff. Stuff. Oh, thanks guys. Uh, so if they want to just email me at, so I, I, so when I say this, I actually really mean it. I usually don't share my personal email address to people on podcasts. Um, but I, I mean, you guys are great. I feel like doing it today. So, uh, it's Daniel at the clockbrothers.com. Okay, cool. So D-A-N-I-E-L at the clockbrothers.com. And like I said, I usually give up my assistance email. Um, but today I just feel like it's giving out my personal. So nice, 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 nice. So our last question we ask everybody is what is your definition of generational wealth? Uh, passing down knowledge, not like actual money. That's, that's kind of what my definition is, right? Cause my parents did not pass down anything, but they passed down what it means to be a good person. And so for me, that's general, like wealth, wealth is not just money, right? As they say, but it's funny how like we, we say it all the time. It's like, Oh, like the real wealth isn't money. But all of a sudden, when it comes to like the most important things, like our children or whatever, like we automatically think money. So yeah, I'd say probably that. Uh, I'm gonna keep it simple. Nice, um, Daniel. Thanks for coming on. I mean, one of the things I love about podcasts, or Chris and I say, is not only do we get to talk to people, learn more about you, but we get to learn things every time. 
So usually I get to learn one thing, but probably honestly being on this with you, I probably learned 10 things, you know, I could probably talk to you for like hours. So, um, congrats on like finding your way, having your success, the real estate, YouTube, your book, the course, all that. I mean, you guys sound like, you know, excuse my French, you have your shit together and you, um, and I can tell you for a lot of people that are young, I always say age is really just an excuse. And I did like the, what your professor said. I think that is one of the best thing I ever heard. It's like year two, year three, if you're ready for the NBA, then just go, um, and do your thing. And so I totally agree. So congrats on all your success. And I'm really glad we talked and you came on today and, you know, thanks for your time. Thanks guys. Thank you. Awesome. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.